Coming up, I'm going to reveal the main reason why people stay stuck in an average life. And then how blue-collar workers are making millions of dollars is going to inspire you and inform you. Let's go, shall we? Helping you win at work and in life. I'm Ken. This is the Ken Coleman Show. So we talk about average and excellence all the time on this show. And uh, I was sitting around talking with a team the other day, and we began to really kind of dive into what is the human element? What's going on with us humans to where we get so comfortable with average? You know, and there are lots of theories, right? Because excellence, let's just be honest. We all know that excellence is hard. Some of us have a better picture of it than others. But excellence for many feels so far away, like a like a, 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 a huge mountain peak on the other side of the world, right? So just pick your mountain peak that you learned about in geography and, and just think about how far away it is, and you begin to process that, and that's how a lot of people look at success. Oh, that's nice. It looks good on a picture on a coffee table book or in a documentary that I'm watching. It's interesting to learn about. But it's not possible for me. That really is the case. And because of that, all of a sudden, excellence becomes unattainable. Average becomes expected. I can do average. If I'm lucky, I have a good life. I can have moments of good. If I'm lucky, 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 just... 15 seconds of excellence here and there. So, the reason that people stay stuck in an average life and they begin to excuse it is twofold. There's two muscles that they have yet to develop. And we're going to use these as metaphorical muscles. Guts and grit. In other words, the gut and grit. Now, what do I mean? Let's talk about the gut. There's an old phrase that's been around a long time. I don't know who came up with it, but you've used it before, or you've heard somebody use it. I've got a gut feeling, and it's always tied to moments of big decision in our life, and where we're wrestling through all of the different potential outcomes, circumstances related to the outcomes, and options and what happens is, is you'll hear somebody, they're kind of walking through it. And by the way, we could use it for uh, small decisions as well. But it, it generally is coming from a place where we say, you know what? I don't have clear-cut black and white facts that are informing my decision, but I've got enough black and white to where I'm going to lean on this thing called the gut. Thus the phrase, a gut feeling. But... For those cynics out there who just believe that logic, 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 the brain, the brain, the brain is the only way, and you don't trust your heart, so when guys like me say things like follow your heart, I say it every day on the program, you begin to go, wait a second, I don't know if that squares off scientifically. So let me tell you about the science. So I read about a study recently that a world-renowned physicist and the name escapes me right now, 
but it's, it's cited in the book, The Secret Life of the Mind, that I've been reading. And they did a study of grandmaster chess players. If you don't know about chess, that probably means you've got an exciting life. I, I don't lead a very exciting life, so I know too much about chess. I was in the chess club, full disclosure, fifth and sixth grade. I know that's not surprising many of you at all. But I'm fascinated with chess. And so they did this study on grandmaster chess players. All right, you ready for this? Here's the breakdown. They put heart monitors on these chess players. And what they observed was that every time the grandmaster chess players made an incorrect move that proved to be fatal to the game, there was a spike in their heart rate. Now, I'm cutting through all the scientific stuff that makes your eyes roll around. I had to read this about two or three times. Here was the conclusion. That logic and the heart or the gut, it's all connected. There are times where our brain doesn't give us a clear, logical conclusion. And when that is the case, this is crazy. Watch this. The brain then sends a signal to the body trying to warn you through a physical feeling. And so what they proved was that the heart rate spiked in an attempt to warn them that this was not a good decision. So the conclusion... The brain and the gut, or the brain's logic machine, is also connected to our body. And many times when our brain and the thinking process does not give us a clear, a clear conclusion, the brain will then try to warn us one more time. And thus the heart rate spiked. So all that to say, the term or the phrase gut feeling has got some real validity to it. So I, I, I say all that to say that the... That the two reasons, one is gut and one is grit. We'll get to grit in a second. Because it all starts with the gut. And the gut and the heart are essentially the same thing. The gut becomes the metaphor for the heart. I got a gut feeling means my heart is telling me to go this way, where my head is telling me to go that way. All right? So, deep instincts must be listened to. We have got to learn to listen to our heart and trust the heart. That emotion is not silly. It is not meant to be overlooked. It is meant to be listened to and followed. And so first, it is gut. You got to learn to 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 mine and trust that gut feeling. That's the heart. That's the first one, which is gut. And when you begin to really understand the heart, and you and you begin to say that my heart desires this. This is the ultimate sign of what it is I really desire. All right? And then we got to develop grit. So it is the gut that moves us out onto the path that moves us forward. We got to listen to the heart. It is the heart that ultimately propels people. You've heard we heard the term passion around love or I talk about passion as it relates to work you love. The root word for passion in Latin is pati, P A T I, and it means to suffer. In other words, I am willing to suffer in order for this desired outcome. We see this in love. We see this in parenting. We see this in business. We see this in sports. If you have a passion to get fit, 
You will suffer through the training and the exercise and the nutritional sacrifices in order to get that desired outcome. So it is only when we trust our gut that we get out and we get on the path and then watch. When life throws the nasty stuff at us, the delays, the detours that are financial or physical or emotional or mental, it is grit that keeps us going. That's why most people lead an average life. They do not learn to trust their gut and follow it, and then they don't stay with it. You must follow your gut. You must develop grit. You do those two things, I can tell you this, you'll never lead an average life. Hey folks, welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show where I give you some common sense so that you can wade through all of the matrix crap that are holding you back. By the way, the show is growing and I'm grateful for that. And uh, these things called algorithms, I don't understand. I don't even know how to spell it and I'm hooked on phonics. And I don't think I could spell algorithm if my life depended on it. But uh, uh, we got to tell you that uh, we're growing, and I'm grateful. And we'd love for you to help spread the word. So if you're watching on YouTube, would you uh, subscribe and maybe share uh, one of the shorts or one of the uh, the highlights or the full show? And if you're listening on your favorite podcast app, would you follow us and give us a five-star review? Also, big news. Boy, oh boy, I tell you all, folks, uh, I tell you folks all the time, you need to step into your fear and step out. And so for a long time, I've wanted to just get out on the road. No screens, no background music, just me and people in cool theaters. And so we're doing it. And I'll admit that I'm stepping into fear and doubt. Will people come? Will they like it? Well, you know what? I got to eat what I cook. And so we're coming out on the road. Kansas City, April 20th. Chicago, Illinois, May 16th. Atlanta, Georgia, May 18th. Dallas, Texas, May 23rd. You say, Ken, what's the event about? Simple. Breakthrough. Now, some of you are stuck or you got friends and family that are stuck. That could mean a lot of different things. They just aren't where they want to be professionally and financially. And we're going to give you a simple formula that will allow you to experience breakthrough and go back to it over and over again when life starts to throw curves and detours your way. And then, my favorite part, we're just going to open it up. Mike's in the crowd taking your questions. So, KenColeman.com slash events is where you go get the tickets. Again, Kansas City, April 20th, Chicago, Illinois, May 16th, Atlanta, Georgia, May 18th, Dallas, Texas, May 23rd, KenColeman.com slash events. I can't wait to see you. All right. How about some facts about how the trades blue-collar work is just as exciting And just as lucrative as the corporate office white-collar job. So this is a finance article uh, at Yahoo uh, that I'm citing. And and I'm just going to give you a couple real stories here. And, And here's the context that we live in and why I'm sharing. The context that we live in is still that college is the best way to a successful, better life. It's total BS. 
It's marketing crap. And it's been sold to us for decades and decades and decades. And as a result, where we sit in America right now is an actual crisis. You can watch a video on the YouTube channel right now where I cite a carpenter who is talking about the lack of carpenters in this world. Now, that's real. Electricians, plumbers, you think of any trade, HVAC. Listen, do you know what the hottest industries were during the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic in 2020? It was the trades. White-collar workers are getting laid off right and left. Let me tell you what else is going on. To the tune of 7 million views on Instagram and TikTok, I made one comment on the Ramsey Show one day, co-hosting. And I, I talked about it on this show first. Well, the social media team clipped it, and I basically said that I'm reading economists, well-respected economists right now that are saying the battle between remote workers coming back to work and corporate America looking at what they're paying people that want to work remote, that there is a movement underway already. It's been happening, and they're expecting to happen at a higher rate where they're going to start shipping white-collar jobs that are remote overseas for somebody that can do it for half or even 75% of the cost. I said that. I just said, hey, be, be aware. And it's gone viral and people are uh, people are agreeing with me and people are calling me some sort of lunatic. I could care less. I don't read the comments. People tell me about it. But here's the point. Those jobs, those white-collar jobs, those can be shipped overseas. You know what you can't ship overseas? The electrician, the plumber, the HVAC operator, all that, you know, the guy who fixes your your uh, your uh, refrigerator can't be shipped overseas. So let's look at some real success stories. Because some of you out there are parenting kids who don't want to darken the door of a college. Some of you out there are in jobs that are absolutely sucking the soul out of you. And it's like you need permission to just go work with your hands and fix something or build something. So here we go. This is a finance article at Yahoo.com. Josh Downing was working for a construction firm. He was 31 years old as a full-time general contractor when he started the journey. He advertises his services on Thumbtack, which is an online platform that pairs tradespeople with customers. He lands a few side gigs. Sure. All of a sudden, his Thumbtack profile became a lucrative second revenue stream. Those side gigs eventually earned him enough money and connections to form the construction firm, Direct Movement Group, which is his and only his, and it brought in $4.9 million in revenue. In 2016. So he goes from going on Thumbtack, going, hey, you need a handyman? Build some shelves, whatever, whatever, whatever. Starts building it, building it, building it. Makes enough money on the side that he starts his own shop doing the same work. Now he's a multimillionaire. Joe, you'll appreciate this one. Paul Tuttle Sr., the guy with the bad attitude from that show American Chopper. I love the guy. He just always looks like somebody peed in his cornflakes. It might have been his son as much as they fought on that show. Paulie, he probably did pee in his Both. own dad's. Yeah, they probably peed in each other's cornflakes is probably what happened. Well, anyway, uh, so how did that become a thing? Because you see that guy and you go, oh, that's just, again, that's just a far-off mountain. I could never do that. Well, okay, wait a second. How did it start? 
He was building custom motorcycles as a hobby. He got good at it. The demand grew, so you know what he did? Opened his own shop, Orange County Choppers. And then eventually got discovered, and uh, the TV show became a thing. They're worth millions and millions of dollars. All right, let's let's get outside uh, a little bit different area, okay? How about and this is this is very personal to me because I grew up in Virginia Beach area, uh, the Tidewater coastal area, of Virginia, and and I had crab pots. Joe knows this. I had crab pots out in my backyard. We lived on a tidal stream that was brackish, and my mom and dad bought us crab pots, and my brother and I would put nasty chicken that nobody wanted at the grocery store in these crab pots. And we would pull in crabs. Well, actual crab, crabbers, the the boats and stuff, I mean, this is tough. It's dangerous, very demanding. Well, Sig Hansen, that's how he earned his living. We're talking big-time crabs. We're talking the expensive ones, them king crabs, right? A Norwegian-American from a long line of Nordic fishermen. Well, that's all he ever did. He's the captain of the fishing vessel Northwestern, one of the main competitors on the successful reality TV show Deadliest Catch. Now, some of you are going, well, Ken, we can't all expect to have a reality TV show based on our work. Well, that's not what made them the millionaires. He worked his way up. And the benefit, the cherry on top, was the reality show. How about Lee Height? He grew up in the roofing business. His father and uncle owned roofing companies. He landed his first roofing contract when he was 13. He's now a millionaire and runs roofing professionals with his father. It's a multi-state business that separates itself from the crowd by handling the complicated insurance claims processing while performing residential and commercial restoration. How about Charlie Mullins? When he was a child... He was inspired by a visit from a local plumber who probably just said nice things to Charlie and tousled his hair. You know, well, that guy's nice. So he got interested in plumbing. At 15, he dropped out of school to become a plumbing apprentice. <laughs> now he's worth millions running Pimlico Plumbers, the biggest plumbing business in all of London. Here's my point. The trades are lucrative. What are you waiting on? Ain't no shame in their bank accounts. All right, folks, another way for you to uh, get your question answered is email, and that address is ask at kencoleman.com, ask at kencoleman.com. I, I should also point out you could submit your question in the YouTube comment section, also on Instagram at Ken Coleman, and uh, the team will uh, assemble these and, uh, and get these to me. In fact, in the old days of the show, we used to call this Ken's Electronic Mail. Do we still have that sounder, Joe? Let's play that. It's time for Ken's Electronic Mail. Ken's Electronic Mail. I, I don't know why, but... You've got mail. That AOL sound always entertains me. I apologize to all those for the cheese, but sometimes I just need to be entertained. Okay, uh, let's get to some questions. This is a 
Looks like a fun one right out of the gate. Ralph Mendoza says, if Ken had to pick a Yeti or a pencil to protect, which one would he choose? I assume he's talking about my Yeti drinking vessel and then my uh, my pencils, which is I, I moved to pencils exclusively years and years ago. I love them. It's an easy answer, Ralph. It's the pencil. Because I could always put water in my hand and drink it, you know, uh, outdoorsman style. So much that can be done with a pencil. Even if I didn't have to write, I could kill you with this pencil. Um, and I digress. There's other things I'm sure that I would figure out. By the way, if you're not watching this show on Netflix, this is a bonus content. There's a new show on Netflix that's like Survivor on steroids. And the name of it escapes me. Anybody in the room know? Tell me what it is. It's like uh, Outlast. Is that what it's called? Outlast. I got to tell you something. It is so good. Uh, one of my all-time favorite actors, Jason Bateman, happens to be an executive producer. That's just, uh, un- you don't need any more information. Back to the questions. I'm Do yourself a favor. Outlast, phenomenal television. Uh, Chad writes in, Ken, what steps did you take leading up to your first book as you prepared for the next level? Um, the quickest answer to this, I'm not going to give you steps. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer what I think you're asking. I was approached to write a book about a year and a half before I actually wrote my first book, and I will tell you that I said candidly, I didn't think I was ready. And what I meant was I didn't feel like I had something in me that I had to get out. And that began a journey that led to my first book. And so um, as you prepare for that book, I think it's about self-awareness and digging deep into your heart to go, what's one thing that I feel like the world really needs to know from me? That doesn't mean that you're necessarily the expert. You just believe somebody needs to know it. And that's where you start. David writes in, I'm trying to apply for new jobs, and one of the employers asked me why I don't have a LinkedIn account. I don't believe in social media. In my opinion, it has more disadvantages than benefits. What's the best answer to that question? (laughs) Well, I love the question. Uh, David, I don't believe in social media. I hate it. All of my social media team is freaking out right now, but it's true. Uh, as a Ramsey personality, I have to have social media accounts. I have to grow them. I have to be engaged. I'm not very good at it. I've recently started getting more involved. But I make jokes with all the other Ramsey personalities, and they're not even jokes. I, I, I freely admit, if, you, if you're familiar with Ramsey Solutions, there's five of us. I'm the worst at it. And I blame it on being a middle-aged white guy. I don't know why my race gets involved, but I'm certainly middle-aged dad. I'm not good at social media. I'm the first one to tell you that. And I also don't like it because it's a lot of work. I would be fine, David, if I just went on Twitter and read the news. Well, the reason I'm answering the question that way for me is because it's the same for you. You need a LinkedIn account because professional people are looking at that stuff. So you can still hold true to your philosophy that you don't believe in social media, that it has some negatives, but that's like saying you don't believe in electricity or you don't believe in television or you don't believe in money. Start picking all the things you don't believe in that have negative side effects or negative temptations and traps. Just because something has some negative underbelly to it or some potential um, uh, traps is the word I'm going to keep going back to doesn't mean I can't use it. 
uh, I think you need to get a LinkedIn profile. But it does not mean that you need to get sucked into posting all the time. John writes, hey, Ken, I'm concerned about job searching now because of this uncertain economy. I'm two years into a career pivot. Things are going well. I feel ready and qualified to move up, but I probably need to go to a new company. I realistically think I could increase my salary by 33% and get better perks. Is it unwise to look for a new job right now, given the uncertain economy? (laughs) First of all, bro, uh, I don't think we're in an uncertain economy any more than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years. Here's what I mean. We live in the information age. And can I just tell you something? We have too much knowledge. We're dumber than we've ever been before, but we're more informed than we've ever been before. How is that possible? Because of these kind of emails. John, you're a really smart guy. But you've allowed media, social media headlines to convince you that you can't take a job that's a 33% raise with better benefits? John, what are we waiting on? Can I just tell you there's no safe job in the world? None. Take the opportunity. Live within your means. Keep making connections. And if the economy somehow gets uncertain with another pandemic and kicks you out of your job, you still made the right decision. What you're experiencing, my friend, is real fear. And you've made it a wildly rational reason for not moving forward. And I appreciate you writing me. But John... Let me reread your question in the tone or the voice that I think is underneath of it. All right, let me remind everybody. Here's what John said. Ken, uh, I'm concerned about job searching right now because of the economy. It's uncertain. He then goes on to say, I'm in a pivot. It's going well. I got an opportunity to make 33% more with better benefits. Ken, do I take it because of the uncertain economy? Here's what he's really saying. Hey, Ken, I've been purposeful. I'm in the process of a pivot that I know I'm supposed to do and I'm actually making progress and I got an opportunity right before me, but I'm scared to death that if I take it and it doesn't pan out, that I'm going to go backwards and I will have wasted all this time and effort. That's what John is saying. John, you've gotten to this point where you've got an offer. Take the offer and don't look back. Uh, One more here. This has got some heaviness to it. Rebecca writes in, I recently read your book, One Question. Well, welcome to the uh, 5,000 people that have read it. It was my first book. Not a lot of people know about it. (laughs) So anytime somebody tells me they read that book, I go, oh, that's kind of (laughs) nice. Hey, you got to start somewhere, folks. All right. Uh, She says some nice things about it. That doesn't matter. She says, I have a master's in education and feel like I make a tremendous impact where I am. But I'm considering making a move to do something that would pay more. I'm happily married, but my husband just received a diagnosis of stage 4 kidney disease, which means I could become the sole provider of our family if his condition worsens. So, this is the kind of stuff where there's no fancy answer, there's no three-part formula. There's no book written for this. This is life. Throwing a curveball. Unexpected change. 
And with that change comes a lot of uncertainty. So first of all, Rebecca, I'm very, very sad about this. I am hoping that the doctors and that your husband's body work well together and the disease does not get worse and he can still work. However, you're thinking ahead. So here's what you have to do. You're going to have to look at how his pay could be affected. These are all practical things right now. None of this is emotional. How that would affect your budget, your expenses, and we start looking for contingencies. How can we start moving into some of those contingencies now just as a safety measure so that we're not having to do an about face? But I think for someone with your experience and qualifications, starting to get some side work, to stack up some money and cut expenses, this is the way to go. Thank you for the question. Hoping for the best. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.